follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I am Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you? Doing good, Shad. Doing good. Excellent. We want to say thank you all for being with us for this episode. <clears throat> We're going to get our shout-outs taken care of at the beginning, so the first one's going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, CollarandElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast, that's the number four, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast, with no spaces to save 10% on your order. It's March. I'm going to order myself one of the new St. Patrick's Day shirts. Ooh. Yeah, I'm going to order the Irish Whip. Um, they, they just posted those designs a few days ago, and uh, I think I'm going to put my order in tomorrow. And for our other shout-out, we pass the ball to Matt. Uh, that would be to Orlando Cologne, the true franchise player. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping that 2021, um, you know, things are starting to open up a little more. Hopefully we're going to see more of Orlando actually uh, in the wrestling ring because now we just have to go by tapes. I don't know if he's actually been doing stuff. I don't think Puerto Rico's been running shows. Yeah. I still oh. hold out hope that he may like pop up like an MLW. I think that'd be like an awesome place. I yeah. think it would be. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. All right. So tonight, well, we've covered we've covered this particular person more recently, but Brad said, "Hey, why don't we go back more towards the beginning and um, and look at it? You know, look at some early stuff." And you might be saying, "Who are you talking about?" Well, <laughs> hold on one second. All oh right. no. Yes. <laughs> One of I don't, uh, know, I, I don't know how like uh, loud that was because I just yeah. find it over my phone. It all, it all, it, it came across pretty good. Yeah, it, it carried through. You know, real like real talk. Like I don't watch AEW like when it airs, just because uh, my life is kind of crazy. So like between the kids and just doing stuff around the house, like I just can't find the time to watch like most anything live. But I do. Yeah. I was basically I do like try to go on my phone and Twitter or something and see like what's trending because usually like people will be talking about what's going on in the show and I was getting messages from friends uh, going like oh my god I think even Damien friend of the show Damien Gonzalez I think he even was like sting and I'm like I immediately I immediately turned on the TV Uh, and it was kind of late I think he'd already made his appearance but then I immediately went on on Twitter and it was all over it. And I, I can tell you as a sting fan, 
it made me so happy. Yeah. Like I legit had like such happiness in my heart. And then hearing um, the clip after the fact, just like the excitement and joy in Tony, like I think it's like real legit joy yeah, from I Tony Schiavone. <clears throat> and then like I remember like a week after when, when Shivani was interviewing Sting uh, in the ring. Sting was like, no, come here, come here, Tony. And like they, he had to give Tony a hug, which is like, I guess in in today's jaded age is kind of cheesy, but it's also like super endearing to me. Yeah. Well, and he had he had uh, Shivani do the do the shout again. He had him do the mm-hmm. call one more time, which, uh, you know, on, on one hand, you could look at it and be like, oh, you know, he's just he's just popping the crowd by bringing that back. But there wasn't a crowd at the time. He did that pretty much. Just because he enjoyed uh, Shivani doing it, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It just it just tickles me. But we're going back early for one of Matt and mine's favorites, and 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 Brad likes him okay too. So Brad, what matches are we looking at? So we we kind of did year by year. We we didn't do eighty seven. So we did we went back to the UWF and grabbed Bill Watts versus Sting. Then we went to Clash of the Champions one in nineteen eighty eight. And did Ric Flair versus Sting. And then we moved a little ahead in 1988 to Starcade and did Sting and Dusty Rhodes versus the Road Warriors. And then we're finishing up in early 1989 with Sting versus Mike Rotunda from an episode of World Championship Wrestling. All right. So we're going to start with that first one. Sting versus Bill Watts. This was from the Blade Runner days, wasn't it? Yes, I think um, I think they I think Warrior was gone by this point. I think this is about when like Sting was teaming with Gilbert. Yeah, they mentioned that uh, Rock was gone at the very beginning. Yeah. So this is more um, I would say this is more angle than it is match because Watts kind of beats him in a couple minutes and then it's um. The, the idea behind the match is he's wrestling Sting to get a shot at um, Eddie Gilbert for five minutes. What, um, sorry to interject, what year did this come out, this match? I would say this is 86. 86, okay. Let me, I'm trying to look up when exactly Warrior was in. To be, to be the UWF, it has to be, <clears throat> because Mid-South changed over to the, U, to the UWF in 86, mm-hmm. and then Crockett bought it in 87, but they kept it on the air until the end of 87 so it has to be for bill watts to be involved i think it has to be 86 or super early 87 mm-hmm. yeah this was as you said this was really more of an angle it, this wasn't really a match this this was <clears throat> bill watts squashes him to to set up for for the post-match shenanigans um I don't. I don't think Sting even threw a punch. Now I'm pretty sure Watts like ran him over with a clothesline, punched him a bit, slammed him off the top, and then pinned him, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, he yeah he got the uh, Oklahoma Stampede in there. Yeah, that's what it was. Oh no, he did a football tackle too. No, well we can't leave that out. Uh, that was like the first yeah. thing he did, and it was a good football tackle actually. Yeah. Uh, it it bugged me. It just like it bugs me with everybody else of Bill Watts not wearing knee pads. It's like for crying out loud, man, just put some knee pads on. You you're killing me. 
It actually made me want to go back and watch some of Bill Watts when he was in his prime because even the little bit he did here was like nicely executed. Yeah. <clears throat> and he didn't do anything super complicated or super big. Um, you know, the 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 football tackle and the Oklahoma Stampede were really, really it. Because he didn't need to. The crowd was bonkers for him. I mean, he probably hadn't wrestled for five or six years at this point. Wow. I would say like 80s, about when he started getting out of like the wrestling side of it in Mid-South. Okay, that's pretty impressive then. I mean, he might have done one-offs here and there, but I'm pretty... Nah, he might have wrestled Cornette, but no, I think they're... I don't remember. Just to be that crisp after that long is pretty impressive. Yeah. Matt, you have we have we been blocking you out here? No, I was uh, slightly distracted, but I... Um, I think he's trying I was to figure out when it I, happened. I was... Fo- yeah, yeah, I was looking up when when Warrior had joined WWF. Looks like eighty seven, like mid eighty seven. Um, this was not really much of a match. Again, it was just more angle, but it actually was effective because I'm someone who hasn't really seen a lot of UWF. I've seen oh, like you're missing little, out. Uh, I've seen little bits here and there, but this this right here made me want to watch more UWF. Uh, I did think Watts came off really well. I. I've seen some of his stuff, but I haven't seen a lot. Like it, it, but I have. I was really captivated by Eddie Gilbert, and then it just got me into like. Well, after I watched this, it got me kind of almost like in a Eddie Gilbert train of thought, where he's a dude who I know we're talking about Sting, but he, Eddie Gilbert's one of those guys that it's like a big what if. Like he, I feel like he, he had enough talent. Not even so much in the ring. I mean, he was. I think I haven't seen enough of him, but I, I think he was like at least decent in the ring. But just as charisma and as a talker, just as a wrestling mind, he seemed like he could have been way bigger than he should have been. Um, and I know like there's a lot of he had a lot of like personal issues and demons and things like that. Kind of was his own worst enemy. But uh, him, him being like the mouthpiece for Sting here, and also just kind of running the show. And then of course the free words come out and tack. And just start, yeah. everyone just starts beating the shit out of bots. Yeah, just oh my god! On the ground, and then finally, like you know, the some of the baby faces come in to stop it, and you have, you have, uh, you have Watts. <laughs> what, what, Eric Watts, shut up, right? Yeah, um, it might have been Micah Watts. Okay, I thought one of the Watts sons came in. It might have been if, Micah at the time because I think, or Joel, Joel might have been. Okay. Uh. Yeah, them just coming out there and and just trying to to stop it, but then it, it was such an effective angle, mm. in my opinion. Like it really just got over, and and people, the crowd just went crazy. Like they were just out for they were out for Eddie Gilbert's blood. Yeah, <clears throat> Watts well, is an interesting guy and an interesting promotion because he's really one of the first u.s promotions i would say to ever that started catering more to the smart fan Mm -hmm. because he was i think that's a famous story it's probably one Cornette told that um when the observer really started hitting like watts you know pretty much said in the locker room that everyone should subscribe to it because he didn't necessarily agree with it but this is where the business was heading 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, he's always like he always. I mean, I know his business went belly up finally, but he always seemed like he was much more ahead of the curve than a lot of people. Even really the UWF TV, like even this, like compared to like some of the better stuff other than Memphis, which was its own thing. Like this was really. It's very '90s and it's um in its um design there's uh there just from a number of different shoot interviews including his um the the watts one you can just tell he understands how he needs to hook people in what he's doing to get people's attention like the when when they ask him about the um the no mats on the outside of the ring and nobody off the top rope or it's DQ rule in WCW. He explains the rationale behind it and it, it makes sense when he explains it. And I can't figure if it's because he didn't like convey that to everybody, you know, to, to, to the guys very well, or if they didn't get it across to the fans well enough or, or what, but you know, if they had had told the story, that goes with it, then, well, they couldn't really tell the story to go with it, but it would have been, you know, it would have made sense and he could have like rebuilt the specialness of coming off the top and stuff. Like <clears throat> I get it. It just could have been done a little better, but it, it just demonstrates that the guy has a very well, the, strong grasp on what people want to see. The mats were straight up just a safety thing. And it's funny well, that yeah. it's funny that um, everyone bitched and moaned about that in the '90s and used that against him, and now no promotion has mats outside of the ring. Well, I mean, WWE and AEW do, don't they? I don't think WWE does anymore. Really. I think they're just in arenas now. They might have some like covering to keep it as a color, but like keep it a certain color. But I don't really think anyone uses mats outside of the ring anymore because I think they figured out guys would blow their knees out because it wasn't what like the the risk of someone mm. injuring their leg was greater than um like okay. missing a dive or something. Okay, I follow what you mean there. It, well, okay. It might be that they are secured like way, way better, so they don't slide around or something now. So it's not obvious, but I, I see where you're coming from. Because um, that was his whole reasoning was like, like, <clears throat> was you guys might hurt your legs if you hit the mat wrong, than if you just deal with the cement. Yeah, because you're gonna be careful. Yeah. And and shouldn't you be careful? You you should be careful cuz you know that's that's you know cold hard concrete. Because like like think about um it was a gif we saw I think it was last week that Virgil one from like Pro where he drops that guy awkwardly on the mat and then you realize they yeah. have that oh, weird yes. stair thing <clears throat> around the mat and he only had like if I'm being generous he had 2 feet of clearance maybe 3. Yeah, and like he dropped the guy, and then he almost like fell down the steps because he just had no room to go. And and I was like, that's really freaking dumb. Yeah, 
That was that was that was a dumb spot that should not have been done. Well, I meant having the, having giving them so little <laughs> movement around the ring, like was really dumb, and like putting stairs where someone like can't walk backwards for more than a couple of steps without like taking a a header right off. Mm. There's there's a lot of really dumb that went into that moment. Yeah, but um. But Matt, um, UWF TV is actually really easy to get online. I think um, XWT Classics has all of it in like a single mm. torrent. Because I know I have all the Mid South and UWF TV. You can even get some house show stuff. They used to sell that too, but that was more Mid South. I may have to. Uh, I may have to donate to uh, XWT to bump up my ratio. <laughs> so I think I can... a lot of those are free leech, actually. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that would be a good one to get. I would get all that. You would just burn it to uh, burn it to DVD. Um, a lot of those are. I have. I keep. But I. I do the, the ones I can just watch on Plex, and then um, mm-hmm. just save them to an external drive because you can get, you can get like a two terabyte drive for like sixty bucks on if you if you watch it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think they have bigger drives now too, but I haven't I haven't priced those. Uh, they 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 do. They're a little bit pricey still, but the the two terabyte uh, drives are fairly affordable. Yeah, and they've gotten smaller. I, I, they they're the size that the yeah. one terabytes used to be. <laughs> it might actually be um might actually be cheaper, but I, a couple of years back I brought I bought uh, like a two terabyte external drive just because uh, if you have one of the more modern. Uh, gaming systems like an Xbox One or a, a PS4. Uh, my Xbox One, like I was basically using up all the the regular hard drive storage, so I I got an external just to download games. And I think I think my two terabyte drive still has some space on it, but uh, I could definitely easily buy another one. Oh look, yeah, like sixty. I'm looking right now, sixty bucks. Mm. Yeah, uh, I have. I have. That's um... a pretty fair price. I think I have eight two terabiters full of nothing but wrestling. So, <clears throat> yeah, I have a problem. <laughs> well, the problem is oh. this guy. There's this guy that puts this this thing up. It's called the All Japan Archive, and it's like every major match from All Japan, going back to like when it was the the Japan Wrestling Association. So it's stuff from like the 40s until like the early 2000s just matches upon matches like i have footage of like ricky dozen is um is like a sumo i have like a match of him and luthez i have like the first match like with the sharps and him and that other guy that like kind of kicked off wrestling in japan like i have clips of that like it and that but that thing is like oh how big was that thing that thing was probably like almost a terabyte in and of itself it might have been like four or five hundred gigs but like there it's just massive how much stuff's in there wow i have a since we since we finally moved uh, and i'm still going through everything and it's going to be like a year (laughs) before everything's kind of sorted out but i have a box and i'm looking at it right now here in my uh my little office uh it's just like a small like uh box you can get like at home depot so it's the small size but it is full and I mean chock full to like to the brim of like DVDs, just wrestling DVDs, both in a case uh, like from Ring of Honor or stuff like that, and just in like the little soft uh, sleeve 
So I got quite a few in there. And that is nowhere near like what I actually have. Like I have, we have a, like a shed outside and I have at least one or two, at least one 18 gallon totes just full of like bindles of just shows that I had burned like over the years. Um, so I've got like a ton of content, but <laughs> I'm always trying to get more. I, I know like IVP videos, like I, I, I've ordered stuff from them recently. I know you guys, I think Brad, I think you actually ordered some stuff from him. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm also looking, cause I got the Lucha box and I'm probably going to get the Joshi box this month. Yeah. He's doing another, um, he's doing a, a pure box and a Joshi box. I'm tempted to get both. Yeah. Uh, because it, they're, and they're a deal too. Cause if you, I'll like throw this guy a plug. Cause I mean, he's a, he's a follower of us on Twitter, but he's also like a nice guy. He's really super fast shipping. Like, this most recent stuff that I've ordered, like he will, one time I ordered on a Sunday and literally it's like I ordered it, let's say at 10 o'clock in the morning by like noon, like, or maybe even quicker than that, but certainly within like a ridiculously short amount of time, he had already like basically completed the order, put it in an envelope ready to ship out. Like he, he and he sends like notifications. So and you know what also, the status of your order is. He also, um, He's also pretty fair with how he deals with you. Like there was one time recently I bought stuff on a Friday and I went back and decided on Saturday I wanted some more stuff and he hadn't quite shipped my stuff yet. And then he didn't charge me the shipping the second time because he hadn't shipped my first one yet. And he He's a very fair. It. Yeah, I remember this is like years and years ago. It's not even recent, but years ago I had I had ordered some stuff from him and I think one or two of the discs uh, just were they didn't work and that happens i mean sometimes yeah. when you're recording stuff like the the actual like recording doesn't finish or it's not burned properly it's, it's something disc. yeah it's a bad disc like that that happens it's no big deal uh but he actually he was like oh no problem and like what what was the disc let me know and he just burned me a new one for free yeah yes yeah, so i'm i'll probably gonna get that pure bot the pure box and the joshi box i think i'm gonna do it and he his stuff is really good too because uh, like I think the pro box is maybe like 20 bucks, but it's not, it's a Blu-ray, but it's not just one of which the Blu-ray I think is like, it's, I think it's a, it's multiple matches. It's like a lot of content, but he also throws in like five or six extra discs. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. Cause like, I actually, think the Lucha box ahead, was, um, the Blu-ray was super cool, but then there was like a CMML mm-hmm. show, like triple mania 95, like a mil Moscaris comp. Like it was there was something else in there too. Yeah, and I also um, I'm actually thinking about doing a, an old school Jeff Lynch order too. <laughs> I get stuff from him sometime because like I've been trying to like get the Joshi shows from like the early '90s, and like he's really the best resource mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, he's got a ton of stuff. I've got I uh, he like recently I asked him a few months back as I, I guess I hadn't ordered for in a while. So I got done, like I got dumped off the, uh, the mailing list, the email mailing list. So I reached out to him and asked him like, Hey, can you re add me? And he, he re added me and he sent me like digital copies, essentially of pretty much all of his stuff. And I was pouring through some of it and like basically on my phone, like taking screenshots of some shows that I actually am interested in. So I, I write I just, the numbers down. You might see post yeah. notes with like random numbers like somewhere on my desk at home and that's like that's like mm-hmm. Jeff Lynch um 
DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> I basically need to go through my photo album now and, and see what screenshots I took and try and put together an order of like, you know, five or six discs. Man, yeah. I love it. Like old school tape trading. That was the day. And and, we're still doing it. And I have my Sharpie ready when his stuff gets there so I can write on the disc what it is because he just puts a number on it when you order it. Yeah. <laughs> so then next up, we're going to go ahead. This is probably a year and a half later, which is really remarkable when you see them so close together. But we're going to go to Clash of the Champions 1. Um, this is the main event of Ric Flair versus Sting. Uh, I also sent them a video of like their confrontation that kind of built up to this, which was good, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, the, there's a funny side story about Clash of the Champions 1, because up until this point, Vince and the NWA had kind of been like having this like Cold War where they would counter-program each other. Yeah. And this is the event that stopped that from happening ever again, because... <laughs> Because this is the same night as Mania 4, which sucked. And this, like, crushed Mania 4. It was, like, com- like critically, like, much better received. And it also hurt Mania's buy rate. So they Vince stopped trying to counter-program them. Mm. You would think he would learn about that sort of stuff. Because Mania 4 was a, it was a very bad show. And this show is awesome because this has, like, um, this has Barry Windham and Lex Luger versus... Arn and Tully for the tag titles right before this. And it also has that awesome Midnight Express for his like fantastic brawl <laughs> that's just like tables and like chairs like all oh, over the place. Wow. Uh, yeah, if just if anyone has not seen Clash of the Champions one, you need to basically mark your mark find some time on your calendar in the next week and watch that show <laughs> top to bottom. They're like the the worst match on that show is just like an okay match the but there's multiple there's at least three matches one of them being the one we're going to talk about there's at least three matches on that that are easily four plus stars yeah close to five because the worst match is probably dusty and the road warriors versus ivan koloff and the powers of pain in a barbed wire match mm-hmm. and um the gimmick to the mike rotunda versus jimmy garvin match doesn't do much for me but that's that's like a minority of the show. Just just from the stuff you described, I'm just kind of sitting here in my chair, leaning my head back, smiling a little bit. So, so this anyway, is, so this is um this also has celebrity <laughs> judges. It has the guy that played Eddie Haskell on Leave It to Beaver because, and I remember watching this show. This is when TBS was trying that. Um, the Leave It to Beaver characters as adults. Was it the new Leave It to oh, Beaver? God. Is that why? Good lord! Yeah, I mean, I when, watched this. This is when they were dipping their toe in like um, original programming. Okay, now that makes sense because I, I, I didn't start watching wrestling until like the '90s, so I would not have been even aware of this, and I was like a young kid. But I did always wonder, like, years later, like, you know, many, many years later when I watched, when I finally watched this show, why they had, like, the dude from Leave it to Beaver. Because he wasn't, I was like, why? Like, what's what's the point of this? But I guess I, did, I was missing the context that, I guess, in that moment in time, he was somewhat relevant. It ran from 83 yeah. to 89, and it moved to TBS. Uh, let's see here. 
I think I moved to TBS in 88. No, it was on the Disney Channel. Hold on, I'm, I'm looking here. It's not going to tell me, probably. But yeah, that's why they did it, because they got the new Leave it to Beaver. So they, Because they used, like, the original actors for that, I'm pretty sure. So that's why he was on there. And then there was... um. The brother from the Wonder Years, who I think was a big yeah, wrestler, Jason, Jason Hervey. Jason Hervey. Yeah. God, he just annoyed me to see him sitting there. Oh, I could not stand Jason Hervey. But he, he was actually, like, he kind of was like a star, because Wonder Years was a big show, and he was a notable yeah. part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, he was a big star, like, relative to the time, and, and big is also, like, relative. He was... Uh, I don't know how, I don't know what is comparable. Like, it, take like a popular sitcom. He was at least like, you know, on that. It, it take a sitcom from like today. I don't even know what is popular. It'd be like getting one of the, the it'd be like getting one of like the, the, the other guys from like Big Bang Theory that's not the guy that's that Sheldon or whatever. Mm, yeah, that, that's probably fair. Um, well, okay, I'm thinking back. I don't know new sitcom. I don't know current sitcoms. It, well, so I wasn't yeah, gonna go with problem. sitcoms. I was gonna go with. Um, uh, well, it's it's done now. But like, if they were to grab a not lead but still major character from Game of Thrones, like about the middle of the run, because the Wonder Years was huge it was i mean it was massive in its original run you know it didn't that run was... as long as i thought it did it because you think like it was a show that was on the air for like 10 years and it was really more on the air for like five or six years but they they re-ran it a lot oh yeah it used to be <laughs> especially when it hit syndication it was everywhere because i think there was a point where it was like like Nickelodeon yeah. had it, um, regular TV had it, TBS had it. Like I think it was. I think there was a point where it was on TV almost as much as Happy Days was when we were kids, or like the Brady Bunch. Isn't that crazy? I mean, everybody had it, which is a testament to how popular it was. But it's just like, God, could I not? I, I just. I've never seen it as an adult. I don't adult. like I'm thinking Jason that Hurt. Show, I don't want to see him. I'm thinking that show wouldn't hold up very well. For some reason. I had a... I had a roommate in college who... And he had very, you know, very compelling reasons why. And I got to hear all about those and about Cheers. Which... That's fine. They were hugely popular shows. They're just not ones that that grabbed me enough for me to, you know, I sat down and watched the first season of Cheers during the pandemic, and I was like, this is this is fine. It's not necessarily my thing, but this is fine. Cheers is so, legitimately good because Ted Danson's awesome on that. Well, and I, I think the Wonder Years is too because of the way they they handle their storytelling, but I can't vouch from personal experience. So anyway, they, who was the other celebrity judge at ringside? Uh, fuck. It's someone that, um, Gary Jester, Sandy's Gary Jester, Gary and Sandy Jester. Scott. 
Yeah, Sandy Scott was definitely one of them. Yeah. Now, I don't know Sandy Scott. Uh, who the heck was Sandy Scott? He I guess I could George look it Scott's up. brother, and they don't like each other. George, now, uh, George Scott was the one... I'm I, I'm not mixing them up, right, Matt? George Scott's the one that books in, like, 89 and, like, really fucks everything up. Correct. Okay. So Sandy Scott yeah. is his brother. They were, like, the Flying Scots or something when they wrestled as, like, a tag team. And Sandy did some promoting for SMW when they were around. And I think he worked for WCW a bit, but he and George Scott are, were not on any speaking terms for some reason or other. But he was a wrestler of some oh, fame. Patty Mullen was the other name I was trying to Well, get. I was saving her because that's important for the match. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Oh, I have some right. thoughts on Patty Mullen. Because <laughs> Flair, right, right. Flair, was, Flair was very interested in the judges table, but... <laughs> Jason Hervey was also, I think, trying to lay his rap down and failing miserably before the match, if you watched it closely, yeah. and then Flair, like, totally just snuck in there. Well, I think, in fairness, like, he could have, like, you know, shoot or shoot their shot, but I think, in terms of actual, like, chronological age, he was probably, like, 16 well, at I mean, that point. Yeah. Do, you want, do you want Jason Hervey, or do you want to ride Space Mountain, I think, is the... Yeah. Well, Herbie was trying, but the problem, when you look younger than 16 and you're shorter than she is, Mm. she's not going to take you seriously. And it seemed very clear that she was not. No, he's got the, he's cursed with that baby face because I think even when he was supposed to be like in his 20s on Wonder Years, he still looked. Mm. Like, I think there was a point where Ben Savage looked older than he did. Fred. Fred, whatever. Ben, ben Savage Ben Savage was born. I, trust me, I heard enough about it when I was a kid. I, I was told when I was young that I looked dead on Fred Savage. To which I said, if I was Fred Savage, then I'd be hanging out with Andre the Giant. That is I didn't true. really say that. It's just one of those things that young me would have wished for but anyway so this is um, um this match is actually the, this match is a pretty famous one for its quality so mm-hmm. this is this is essentially i don't actually think they went 45 minutes i think they um i think they i think they went more like 40 but you know the gimmick it yeah wcw um i mean well it, wrestling i mean time. If, yeah it, yeah if it was legit 45 minutes it flew by yeah, it, I mean, it felt like it was 20 minutes. I mean, it was at least, like, it was close to 40, I think. Yeah, it was really close to it. Um, if they were going to call 45, then I think they would be including entrances. I was actually looking to see if this got an Observer Award. Oh, this one Match of the Year for 88. In the really? Yeah. I mean, it was the 80s. Like, you don't get, like... You don't. I, not a lot of. Coverage. I know why. So who wants to uh, who wants to talk about why this match is awesome? Uh, 
Well, Matt, go ahead and get your thought out first. I, I was just going to say, if you are a Sting fan, like uh, this is like a must-see for you. It's quintessential mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Sting. And uh, this is kind of jumping ahead to one of the other matches, but uh, the tag match that we watched, I think at that point they said that Sting was like uh, three to four years in the business, which would have put him like what, getting in at like 85? Yeah, because he, he, um, he and Warrior started out in Memphis. In 85. So, then at this point in time for this match, he would have been in the business maybe like three years. And that's just insane to me because he was so good in this match. Like, you can put this match up there with with pretty much anything Mm -hmm. of like a top matches for the last like 35 years. And it would hold up with it. And for a guy who was only in... And had been in the business for like three years, like that's amazing. Like even... A lot of guys nowadays, like they're obviously they're guys we talk about who are like really talented, either as characters or as like mic workers, um, and also sometimes it's like actual you know in ring workers. But a lot of them have put in a lot of time to get to that level. Um, yeah, and obviously like more you Experience, but for guy who was only three years in, like he just absolutely got it. And, many- and the hell of it is, that's when I got hurt. Uh, I, I tore my shoulder completely out of socket, and um, uh, I'm gonna f- screw up the name. The um, it's not the rotator cuff, but it's the uh, Fabrum. Yes, I tore my labrum. Um, painful and very time-consuming. Yeah, it it took me straight up a year before I was I was ready to to get back in the ring. Like, and and this was part of it was the fact that I was I was working a job with uh, where I was having to lug heavy stuff a lot and things like that. But it was mm-hmm. it took me about a year before I could get back in the ring, which that was a uh, comparatively a big chunk of time yeah and for people who you're i mean wrestling was essentially like a part-time activity Mm -hmm. uh, for you but people who who do have it as their primary career you know obviously they can get better quicker i mean i think it's i think it's it's different for everyone i mean mark henry i think eventually got to be like really good Mm -hmm. but mark henry took it literally took him a few years to get to that point but then finally like everything clicked Mm -hmm. uh and that's a there was like a brief discussion uh, on Twitter where someone was like, if if Mark Henry had come along, you know, back during the days, like the territories, like would he have been like a big deal? And it's like, if you take the Mark Henry when he was like doing like House of Pain and stuff like that, I absolutely yeah. think Mark Henry would have been and like Ice and Supreme because he would have just, you could have built him as like a really believable monster and he would just would have just been amazing. Like it, you could basically run any of your top baby faces against him and it would just would have been fantastic. But I'll admit from watching, uh, he was watching a clip from um, Henry versus Henry versus Orton, mm-hmm. and I, I've, I've been pretty open about the fact that I don't like Orton at all. But Orton goes for his goes for the RKO, and Henry just shoves him away, mm-hmm. and and just stands there, and he's like, 
I'm going to, you know, I was going to mess you up before, but I'm going to tear you in half. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is so good. Let me rewind it and watch it six more times. I, I, I know we're sidetracking, but Henry did have one of the best wrestling lines of the last, like, 15 years. Is that that is that cage match where he just, like, destroys the, the, the cage and is beating the shit out of Big Show? Mm-hmm. And he just, like, stands and he's just, like, yelling. And he goes, if I charge for air, you better keep your bill paid. And it's like, <laughs> it's such a good line, but it's such a belie- it's so believable because he's such a monster in that moment. It's like, okay, okay. It's it's a threat that you believe is credible in that yeah. moment. But to go back to Sting, it's like it's crazy how good he was with only like three years in. And now I know he's in the ring with one of the all time greats in Ric Flair, but he was holding his own and. There were so many little things that he did in this match that mm-hmm. I really just loved. Uh, his his babyface comebacks were fantastic. Oh the yeah, selling he did, and it got me thinking. Like, if you if you there's a lot of people who like are big fans of Sting. We're big fans of Sting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sting would not be able to come back, to, you know, at 61 years of age to AEW, and it's a big deal, and he actually can. It is what I imagine is going to be a very cinematic match uh, at Revolution, but he's he can able he he's able to come back and at 61 years old step in the ring, and people are actually excited to see it because yeah. he does have a following. But even so, like I think he's kind of underrated when you think about like great workers or, or workers. I mean people people have their favorites and I, and certainly they're guys who've become like iconic over the years. Uh, and he has a huge following, but I think he doesn't get as much credit as he should for as a worker. Cause I actually think he was a oh, really yeah. good worker. That like makes he, sense. he was a way better worker. Cause people will be like, Oh, name like great workers the last say, like 30 years. And people will be like, Oh, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, you know, yeah. Eddie Guerrero. It's like, those are all true. <laughs> That's all true. But I think, I think sting doesn't get as much. I, I don't know why no. it's cause like during, I think because it was WCW was so bad for like the his peak years. Yeah, I guess, and he certainly didn't have a lot to work with. I mean, it, it take like the mid '90s. You had Hogan coming in and like stealing that top babyface spot, really. And there was, um... I mean, Sting was working with like Dungeon of Doom guys, and it's like, I someone like John Tenta is a good worker, but not not in like the gimmick he was given, and you couldn't. Yeah. Really they couldn't really go out there and do a lot. His match with Meng at so, uh, Great I was American gonna... Bash 95 is really good. It is good. I was going to say, Matt, um, to agree with you, mm-hmm. I have this theory that uh, part of what tarnished Sting's reputation as a worker was in the more early days of the internet wrestling community. Mm-hmm. There were some people in some higher profile spots that were like, oh, you know, when Sting blew his knee out, then he, he lost the ability to be able to work. And, you know, he's just been coasting on that ever since. And such it, it, it it's <clears throat> there's really a lot of talking term. points. It's for shit. There's but. really a lot of talking points from early IWC that that is more footage has become available has been shown to be like absolute nonsense. Like even like the stuff like that Hogan couldn't work. Like we know that's not true now. Like mm-hmm. early IWC really has a lot of bad takes. Yeah, and and also 
because they were uh, I for for example I don't know what it is that I guess it was just the the sheer fact that he was publishing so often but how did Scott keep get to be such a well regarded name and you look back and you're like oh if it's not Bret Hart, he kind of hates it, and if it is Bret Hart, he, he will never say anything bad about it. And, like, he was one of the, the talk trash about sticking ties. Like, all that stuff got floating around, and I can't help but think that, at least in that time, those attitudes have rippled on, and and now there are people who are in a power, unless you are straight up, like, I'm going to cover my eyes, put my thumbs in my ears, and I have to ignore exactly what's in front of me, like conspiracy theory denier type, that you can watch this match and say that it's all flair. That's not possible. You just can't. You cannot do it. So, sorry about that, everyone. Uh, we had some, I was having some internet problems. The, you'll probably notice the audio is a little bad there for a couple minutes, but uh, it should be good now because I reset everything. So, we're going to pick back up and go into the match with Flair. Sting? Like, the? how far apart were these matches, Brad? Um, I do not know the exact date of the UWF one. I'm guessing based on timeline, it was probably summer of 86. And this was, this was 88, 89. April of 88. Okay, two years. Sting goes from pacing around in the ring because he's not sure what to do to his entrance here just looks so immensely different. Because he's got poise and confidence, and he's got the charisma handled. The the change is staggering between the two. It's almost like a completely different person. Yeah, he has just so much more confidence. He has it. He has like all those skills, kind of all the the dots have been connected. It was all sort of starting to come together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, the other thing that we have to talk about is Flair comes out and makes his entrance, and we have to acknowledge the glorious mullet of Ric Flair for this match. I mean, he had that through the whole... the whole of the 80s, I think. I know, but it's... Sometimes you just... You don't see it, and you forget about it, and then you see it again, and you gotta admit. (laughs) I'm trying to see if I can find his um, when that first match was. So continue on. No. Um, at least for me, and I'm going to apologize because as as we go through this match, I'm going to probably dig into some minutia here and there. Mm-hmm. But the early to use the I, I know I've I've broken down match structure before but there's still a little part of kayfabe in me that resists it but the early shine is so good because Sting does not get wild and he's not just running all over Flair but there's no question he's in control he's he's very dominantly in control but he's also you know he's not just like run over here hit you hit you hit you hip toss or something it's it's a very 
confident and aggressive measured pace kind of thing and it's it's really good that's a great way to put it it is measured like yeah. it's uh it's almost like calculated he isn't he isn't wasting a lot of energy up front um and there's a lot of really good classic kind of flair behaviors early on in like yeah. the first few minutes you know flair like doing the flare flop him like begging off him cheating when he can mm-hmm. to get an advantage um but early on, the first part of the match, like none of it's working. Like Sting is pretty dominant, but again, it's he's it's a calculated, measured approach. Like he, you know, he'll do a couple of big moves and he'll, like go into the headlock. Which yeah. I mean, obviously they, they were going kind of long on this, so mm-hmm. uh, they needed to pad time anyway. But <sighs> it worked. Like it, conceptually, especially like. A, once you finally, I guess if you if you're going in cold to this match, had nothing, no experience, you didn't know what you're getting yourself into. Like I had actually seen this match like a few times, probably at least a couple mm-hmm. times before. So I kind of knew what I was getting in for. But if you if you're watching it fresh, you don't know what you're getting in for. Maybe like when you're seeing like a, a headlock five ten minutes in, you might be like, oh, what is this? Like come on. But you got to get out of like the modern mindset where. You know the match is going to last like ten minutes. Like you got to get out. They're going long form on here. Like you got to get out of that. And, and it, it all by the end of it, it all conceptually makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you need the context that like Sting is the young, the young pup in this. Because mm-hmm. it's because really what the storyline like long form of what the storyline of the match in my eyes is, is it's the young pup that's getting one over on the veteran but he doesn't quite have all the tools to put him away. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of like how, like that's kind of like when you get into like the last end run, like part of the story there is Sting like really kind of wastes his time mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of like, while he's going for the kill, he's like losing valuable seconds, which lets Flair hang just, on yeah. just long enough. Just it's, it's an experience uh, difference. Yeah, that's happening at that point. Also, because, because uh, some of the criticisms of this match are actually, I feel like, like match features like Sting repeating spots and stuff. That's kind of like supposed to tell you that he's a young guy that keep that. Like essentially, what's happening is he's going back to some of those moves, but he's going back to those moves because they're working. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's a. It's there's layers to this. Like. Mm-hmm. You have to really sit back and think about it, but you're right. It's like, well, he did that before. Yeah, he did it because he's young and experienced. So if you're, if that's working, like he's going to go back to that well. Yeah. I mean, okay. When I was when I was a younger man, mm-hmm. and you know, martial arts class, we'd be sparring. I had a few particular moves that I would go to. One. Because I had them down pat, and two, they usually worked, and that's why you'll see guys with like signature spots and that sort of thing. Is, is the idea is this is something I have a really good grasp on, and it usually works, so I'm going to keep using it. Sting flings Flair with a hip toss. Could he have done something else? Probably, but on one hand, kayfabe, he doesn't need to because it's working. Number on the other hand, you did. They the they were doing such a good job and the crowd was so hot that they didn't have to kill themselves by doing something crazier in order to you know 
keep the get the crowd excited and that sort of if the crowd's going to come to their feet for a hip toss then you don't need a tiger driver right just just you know fling that hip toss and when people people come alive for it good you're doing something right and i want to add i thought tommy young did a really good job as a referee in this because i like when they had the figure four spot he he actually sidestepped the stupid referee thing really well because he turned his back on flair to check on sting which then let flair cheat with impunity oh yeah he uh tommy young was putting in the work for this match he did a fantastic job i felt as a as a ref and but what I what I really liked is going back to the layers. I liked that that happened, but then Flair went to that rope well, and Tommy Young finally caught him. And when he finally caught him, he almost caught he almost cost him the title by like kicking his his feet off the ropes, and Sting almost pinned him on like the the reversal, like when they went. So essentially, what it was, Sting went for a sunset flip. Flair was fighting it. He pretty much grabbed the ropes, and then went for a pin. And Young saw that. And then he kicked his his arms off the ropes, which let Sting like get him pretty yeah, much. Yeah, roll the sunset flip through. Yeah, yeah, and then almost like pinned him. So there was almost like a payoff of that. Almost cost him like twenty minutes later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, Brad, you brought it up, and and during the difficulties, I, I said this with Matt. I'm gonna hit that figure four spot because there's just. The minutia in it is so good that I'm I'm gonna drill on this for a second. <laughs> I hope you all are okay with that. Sure. Um, first of all, it's really easy to sell a figure four badly because you're laying there, you got that stuff on your leg, and you, in a lot of cases, you don't want to just like thrash back and forth and grasp at your leg and scream the entire time. But what do you do in that case? Well, it's like I said, it's really easy to sell it badly. I remember Lex Luger once doing it by looking at, you know, he's trying to sell that it hurts and he's trying to focus and, you know, shake his head and try and get his, but it looked like he was going to sleep. Um, Sting doesn't do that. Sting's like, he's like, he's twisting and he's kind of, ah, you know, that sort of stuff. And he's also working to keep his shoulders off the mat because for some reason that pins you that I've never exactly been on board with. But then technically their legs are on top of your legs. So they would theoretically be pinning you, but they're not pinning your shoulders. I mean, so I don't know. It just, it for me, it stretches it a little bit, but you know, if it works for you, then don't let me get in your way. If they, inter- um, if they consistently do it, then I mean, obviously there's, yeah yeah and i i just don't care for it anyway not the point sting they have the figure four spot and this feeds into the fact that sting is the younger guy but he's also he's got so much in the tank and he's so strong that it's hard for flair to control him he doesn't roll over the figure four and take over he takes over while he's in the figure four, right? Like mm-hmm. he he takes out, he starts coming up, and he starts you know he starts firing up in the figure four, and then he scoots Flair away from the ropes. Like he's stuck in the figure four, but that means Flair's stuck with him. So he uses his upper body to pull them both away from the ropes, so Flair 
can't use them to affect him, and Flair won't be able to use it to break it when he rolls it. And then he's fired up. He does his shot. He beats his chest, and then he rolls. When he rolls it, Flair, you know, is is in this moment where he's like, "No, this is my silver bullet. This is this is what wins the day for me." And he's having to look Sting in the eye and watch it not work. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's this moment of just like like dread that goes across Flair's face and then Sting turns it. <clears throat> Can I ask a question, Chad? Yeah. Just as a worker, and this is this is something that I actually have never understood. I understand the concept that if you, you know, reverse the figure four by you know, you you basically both guys getting on their knees mm-hmm. that, that uh that actually hurts the person who is applied. But from from an actual I know this is all the move is fucking kayfabe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know it's not a real move, but just as a from a like, I guess medical perspective, or but as a worker, maybe you can explain it to me. How is that supposed to work? Because I mean, the figure four could that actually like hurt someone in the sense? Okay, it, so, as a, in theory, as an actual like submission move, <clears throat> and if so, how does like just flipping over like suddenly put all the pressure on the, the right. person who is applying the move? Because I've actually never best. understood that. I mean, it's one of those things that you just accept. You just roll yeah. with it because they tell yeah. you if you reverse it, then it hurts the other guy. Yes. All right, I'm going to do the best I can verbally here. It, it would be mm-hmm. better if I could talk with my hands or demonstrate but we're audio format so here goes so i pick up your leg for the figure four and i step around it like a a spinning toehold right i've got it i lift your other leg i put your leg over top of your other knee and when i drop i hook my other leg over that what i'm doing now is okay your bent leg can't escape now depending on who's doing the figure four there are some of them that do it in such a way that Every now and then you'll see somebody who's actually putting pressure on the straight leg on the knee to hyperextend it, but usually it's a, you're torquing the bent knee, right? Mm. So I've got your leg here, your knee is twisted, and then I've got um, my legs over top of yours. So your own leg is hooked on my leg, which is against your leg, and then my other leg is through the four of your legs against that knee, right? So if I press down with my right leg, which is the one on the outside, if I press down, that one keeps it there. If I press down with the other one, then what happens is I'm trying to, like, twist. Like, if if you cross your legs and then push down on that knee, you're going to feel it in your hip, and your knee's going to start to to torque. And so that's where that, that pressure's coming from. Now, I'm going to flip it up. When I'm, I flip it over... I think, and you're going to have to, this is the best I can figure on why it's supposed to hurt the other way, is when you flip it over, now your one leg is trapped between the two of mine, and it's like I'm applying, it's like I'm I'm working to hyperextend or I'm putting a lot of pressure across your shin. No one says that the guy who had the figure four applied, it quit hurting them, but now it's hurting the other guy to have it on you. And he's the one that can <coughs> that can make it stop to let go. Interesting. Did, did that make any sense? It did. Okay. All right. I wanted to make sure because 
in my description, I, I, I wanted to make sure I didn't get, I didn't lose it anywhere. I will say one thing, a little tidbit uh, from this match that I, I agree with everything you were saying about Sting and Sting reversing it. Uh, one thing I actually really liked, and this is something that. I mean, Sting was selling during it, but obviously he had to have like awareness of what Flair was doing and mm-hmm. be visually like seeing what Flair was doing from his perspective. Even though as he's like you know, you know, writhing in pain, he's like sh- he's selling the move. When Flair was close to the ropes and Tommy Young was turned away from him, you yeah. know, trying to asking Sting you know, if he's submitting, and Flair is doing the the classic heel move and the classic Flair move where he's grabbing the rope for extra leverage. Mm-hmm. I love it's a small tidbit, but I love that every time he would do that, Sting would all of a sudden just sell more. He would sell like mm-hmm. that extra pressure was actually affecting the move. And I mean, that's to me like that's really clever because it's and also really good of Sting. Like the selling is again, his selling was fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. But that was really clever to me because it's like he's he's already trying to sell, so he has to basically be almost like out of the corner of his eye see that Flair is doing this. But yeah. he knew, like, okay, when he's doing that, I actually have to sell this more. I got to show yeah. that this actually is affecting things. Yeah, and I love that. That's such a little, a, a small little tidbit, a, a little detail, mm-hmm. but it was fantastic to me. Well, and that's an advantage that he has in that he's sitting up selling yeah. instead of laying on the mat because, you know, the ref comes over to check on him. He can see what yeah. Flair's doing, so he's got the cue for it, which is mm-hmm. great. But you know, there's so many guys that you know, like we're gonna go into, we're gonna go into the figure four, and they lay on the mat and they roll back and forth side to side, and they're like, oh, you know, it hurts so bad, and you reach for the ropes, and their selling doesn't change because they're not paying attention to what you're doing. It's just like, God. that's what I mean about it's easy to sell it badly. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, this match has what may be one of my. F- this is so niche. But my favorite application of an abdominal stretch I've ever seen. They hit an abdominal stretch late in the match, and it's not a it's a <clears throat> we're turning, we're hopping, we're stumbling while I'm trying to lock this on, and I'm not letting you put lock this on, but you're still getting there anyway, and then we finally get to the point finally it gets sunk in. Like it is I think the most believable abdominal stretch application I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I, it, God, it's just gratifying to see stuff like that. I think people that haven't seen a lot of flair in the eighties need to see stuff like this to like really appreciate it, <clears throat> appreciate him. And yeah. mm-hmm. like, it's something that Matt and I did on a previous show, like years and years ago, there was a world-class match where he took like Al Madrill, who I wouldn't say is like, an amazing worker and or anything and had this like amazing like 10 minute match with him on television but it just it really shows you how good flair was in his heyday Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it's hard to think for the other person while you're out there um you know you know how they uh, there there's a lot of people talk about the dichotomy between Someone who can have a great match with someone who's really good but doesn't drag a uh, just passable worker up to that level. 
that's because it's really hard to do. Like it's it's it is a tough thing to pull off to to have to think for both of them and make it good. Like uh, I, it's it's not something I ever got very good at. And you can tell, like I, I don't know if you guys could tell this, but Flair, you can tell, just loves going long like this. Oh yeah, like you oh, can just yeah. tell he's in his wheelhouse. Like when you're in like that thirty minute <laughs> mark. Mm-hmm. Well, that was that was old, an old Cornette story. He said Flair would be blowing up. He blew up Pillman, who had just come out of NFL conditioning, and he'd be like, they'd get to the the forty minute mark. He goes, "All right, boys, you ready to kick it in?" And they'll kick it in. I just threw it up. You know what? What do you mean, kick it in? Yeah, they but, they you know, said he could do that. They, they they said he used to get in trouble because when they would have like the job guys come in, he used to love George South. Okay. George South was a good worker, and they used to get mad because Flair would do like ten minute TV matches with George South because he loved working with him so much, mm-hmm. <laughs> and would like give him offense and stuff because he just like like Cornette talks about like he just loved working with him. I know that they're frustrated by that, by that, but on the other hand, man, you, you got to love that he he would do stuff like that. That he would just be like, "Dude, I love working with you. Let's let's give you a little bit." Like, that's that's good brother stuff right there. That's what that is. But uh, then the, the the celebrity judges, I feel, were a little drunk for this because I think Sting <laughs> won this on points, unless you you're should. against Sting. Uh, Sting had control of probably two thirds of this. I'd yeah. say more. I'd say like three fourths. Yeah. This also illustrates how important the crowd is. The crowd and the announcer. Because oh, Tony Schiavone and Jr. Jim Ross were the announcers here, and it, it they were really good, especially towards the end when you had all those near falls. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were just they were high energy they were they were into it this is back no offense to the guy but this is back when when jr was still good like i i don't think he i mean he's he's not really been that great for a long time no, no offense to him i know he's classic he's a he's a hall of fame announcer but i back like in in like the late 90s uh Jim Crocker promotions, like he was, he was absolutely like, top of his game. He was fantastic. I actually so, think uh, um, this match is not his best performance that we saw across the matches. I would agree, mm-hmm. but he was, he did do a fantastic job in here in this. Yeah, like he was just great. Yeah, yeah, he really was. Shivani too. I mean, Shivani, Shivani, now is kind of getting like some some nostalgic love and people I think now like unironically it's it's cool to like Shivani again <laughs> but I've always had a soft spot for Shivani and Shivani did a really good job here yeah. I, I did too I was honestly baffled for a long time with the amount of hate that he seemed to get because it was like because he wouldn't he talk like, about wrestling and when you don't when you don't spin your own narrative it always like goes against you that was one of those where I like if you're watching Nitro and he's talking about the NWO again, I'm fair certain that wasn't his fault. Like, 
I'm fairly certain he was getting directives about, you know, it's like, make sure you push this, make sure you push this, make sure you push this. And it's like, for God's sake, why, why are we having, you know, matches in the ring if we're going to be like that? But And I mean, I think everyone was pretty bad by the end of WCW announcing wise. I mean, I don't think he's ever as bad as Michael Cole on his best day, you know. <laughs> No, bad, but <laughs> Brad, I'm I'm so tempted to mess with you right now. <laughs> no, I I literally I literally <laughs> hate every WWE announcer, but I especially hate Michael Cole because he's managed he's ruined like every decent WWE moment for at least fifteen years now. Nah, more like ten because you still had Joey Styles or Jim Ross around to maybe save something on a pay per view for a long time. And, yeah. Um, Heel Michael Cole kept me from watching for years. Okay, I can't help myself. I'm sorry, Brad. <clears throat> Should we go with... Uh... <laughs> well, here comes the boss time. How about we mash some stuff up for you no, real boss quick? Time, boss time is the worst because... The worst because <laughs> well, no, because... Well, I mean, it shows it shows like how the current product sucks because like you don't you don't go like if if Jr. was calling like Sting the beach bum every time he came out, it would it yeah. would fucking bury him after a while and and that's like the WWE like lingo is like like when Roman Reigns come as it comes out and they always have to call him like the big dog. It just makes you like roll your eyes and like not because it's so. It's so forced. it's so annoying. It's so forced. It's such like corporate branding, mm-hmm. where it's like we got to get that we got to get this uh, catchphrase or nickname over. So go, say it like eight times. It's like when match. MMA fighters give themselves their own nickname, and the UFC used to push that a lot harder than it does now, and they'd yeah. have to announce them with that. And it's like some dude that's like like five and eight, and he has a nickname for himself. And it's like maybe dude, like maybe like get a couple more wins before you <laughs> give yourself a nickname. I am the scrappy try harder. I try hard. And then they get I knocked mean, I, out in five seconds. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that you got to brand yourself. You got to, you got to try and make things happen, but yeah. It's, yeah. But again, it, it is, I agree with you. It, it's just so, it's so forced in the WWE. Yeah. Yeah. Ew. Or wait, hang on. It, we've also have, um, Michael Cole also had the the goldfish memory. The number of times he would proclaim with God as his witness that he has never seen X person do Y thing. And it's like, that's funny. You know, you're saying this at Mania. He did it three months ago at Survivor Series. Like, or his, I, oh, oh my, when it's a big, like, yeah. debut, it's just like, oh, fuck. Like, it's like, you, uh, you, yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I, I just... I couldn't resist trying to rattle your cage a little bit because I know you hate it I'm gonna, so I'm going to jump ahead, but we'll get into it more. But, like, I think a good, like, because even my wife commented on it, like, the, the, the Jim Ross and Michael Hayes dynamic in the, the TV title match did a really good job. They actually added a lot of tension to the match because um because they, they had, like, a tension between them. But where Jim Ross is a good lead announcer is like if Michael Hayes would make some off-color comment, like Jr. would throw it back in his face, or Jr. Mm-hmm. would be getting his little digs in on Hayes too. Yeah, like he'd be getting these like kind of passive-aggressive jabs in, and I was like, I was sitting there thinking, I think my wife was even like, I miss this dynamic between them. And it's like, oh yeah, because Jim Ross is not like a, 
it's not a pushover and he's giving it back to the heel about as good as like the heels dishing it out. That was um that was part of the uh Jim Ross Paul Heyman dynamic, wasn't it? Well, yeah, because like, because like when Heyman had his talk show, sometimes Jim Ross would be like, and speaking of like little stinkers, let's go over to the danger zone with like <laughs> Polly dangerously. Like that's the kind of stuff he would do. <coughs> yeah. But uh, you could, you know, you would have, you had someone who wasn't afraid. And, and let's be honest, part of, part of wrestling is the appeal of, you have a guy who's not afraid to stand up for something, you know, consequences be damned. And where in a lot of times in real life, you just kind of, you know, bite your tongue and and put your head down and go on because, you know, punching somebody in the face at work is, is not going to help you at all. But if you have a baby face who just rolls over and takes everything – and doesn't stand up or fight back or is too dumb to, then you're not invested and you don't want to watch it. You're, you are, you are immediately rooting against them because there's such, well, to use a, an Alvarez term, they're such a geek. Like they're such a bum. They're such a loser that you don't want to cheer for them. You're just like, Oh God, why am I watching this again? Yeah. Michael Cole makes me do that a lot. <laughs> So let's um let's uh we're gonna move ahead to Starcade here, but I think the consensus is that match is awesome. Oh, it's so good. We uh we didn't talk briefly about the judges. Oh, that's that's true. We got to go back to the the one judge. Yeah. Uh, what was the name? Patty Mullen. Yeah, Patty Mullen. Yeah. Patty Mullen. Um, guys, I think Patty Mullen. <laughs> I think she rode Space Mountain. Oh, I imagine. <laughs> and I was so in fairness, I was telling um I was telling Brad and Shad, like I, I made that joke to them like on our group text, but I actually I think that she, I think she legitimately <laughs> rode Space Mountain because I like Googled her because I'm like, who is this person? And apparently she was uh she was a penthouse pet. <laughs> And then she was also, I guess, starred in uh, Frankenhooker, which is like a 1990 B movie, which I'm sure friend of the show Christy Petrillo has seen. <laughs> it probably has on on DVD somewhere. No, Frankenhooker is a Frankenhooker is like a famous movie. Yeah, it did. It it it's notable. I remember hearing about it. I never saw it. Uh, I guess she was the star. She was the uh, eponymous. The titular, Franken- Franken- the titular, yes. Um, also, also a- we ha- we have to say um, mm-hmm. the best line about Frankenhooker is Bill Murray. If you see one movie this year, it should be Frankenhooker. <laughs> uh, I actually found a video clip of her from like 1986, where she was like, Flair came out on a. Uh, on like the mothership and was going an interview and he had like, she was like his eye candy, like the girl on his arm. So it's yeah. like, literally like this girl had a connection to WCW of some sort and <laughs> Ric Flair in particular. So, <laughs> well, that's one of the things I like though, is um, there was a couple times when he was on offense, you'd see him kind of look over to where the judges were and you just see that like smile come on his face. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> just this moment where he's like, woo, pretty much. <laughs> I realized that about halfway through, and I just laughed every time it happened. So then up next we have Starcade 88. Um, this is the Road Warriors versus Dusty Roads and Sting. So this this is more interesting because this um this marked the end of Dusty Roads, like in the NWA, because the angle leading into this, and it's been talked about on this show before because our friend Nightmage talked about it. But mm-hmm. so um when Turner took over, they kind of wanted the blood and guts toned down. And Dusty's immediate response was to do the angle where they like drove the spike through his eye. <laughs> so he got fired as Booker, and then they wanted to put him back on like a performer contract, and he didn't accept that. So this is pretty much it for him in the NWA. Mm-hmm. So this match is really just kind of a hoss fight. I think it's interesting because this is um the road warriors and their non sanitized WWE, like coming out to iron man and just being a couple of like ass kickers. Yeah. I, I actually, of all the stuff we watched, this is probably the one that interested me like the least, like it's not a bad match. It's just, it's just kind of like a hoss fight. But I don't know. I guess it was good I for what I, it was. It's good for what it was. Uh, I think it was just a palate cleanser for whatever they did in the main event for this show. Yeah. If I had to guess, like, because this also had um, the final Flair Luger match, and this also had Rotunda Rick Steiner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Midnights and Jim Cornette versus um, the Midnights and Pauly. Oh yeah. Makes I guess sense. I, I guess I'm thrown off because I <laughs> while I was never like the biggest Road Warriors fan, I did enjoy them and I guess I never really I didn't really like them as like heels. No one liked them as heels. This was stupid. Like the crowd didn't even want to boo them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean they, they, they gave up on this heel turn like <laughs> They were faces again by February, and I think they turned in September. Yeah. Wow. That's that's some pretty hard course correction right there. Because no one wants to boo them. Like if, no. If they're gonna, if they're like, what's the difference between the Road Warriors as heels and faces? They say some mean things after they they charge the ring and like beat the shit out of someone. Didn't they already do that? No, that's what that's what Road Warrior matches were like when they would do squashes and stuff in the 80s is it's really just you hear Iron Man hit and they're in the ring and they're like just beating people senseless like there was my wife and I watched the match and she was <clears throat> laughing hilariously because literally it's the Midnight Express and they charge in the ring and literally the bell's ringing and I think Animal has eaten on the ground and he's punching him in the face and this is like <laughs> five seconds in yeah like it was just chaos when they came and like I mean they were using like real Iron Man, I mean, they, they had it covered up here, so, like, it's just mm-hmm. these two, like, gorillas charging the ring in just chaos. Yeah. And intensity, and just, like, and then, you know, 
you know, then they do promos and they're like, we're going to beat you senseless. And it's like, you see them like just murder poor jobbers all the time. So you kind of believe them. Yeah. That's what I meant is what, what's the difference between heel road warriors and face road warriors is I, I guess who they're beating up because there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of difference. otherwise. Yeah, I, there really isn't. I, that was a stupid idea and I don't know why they tried it. Uh, I, no I, I to, wish I had insight. Because no I, one, no one would. I mean, they they were they were a huge drawing act, and they were well established at this point, And no one wants to boo. It'd be like I'm trying to think of it. It was like kind of when Austin turned heel, and no one really wanted to boo him. That's exactly yeah. what I was just thinking of. The, the phrase "Who wants to boo their hero?" Um, you know, who wants to who wants to to boo the no-nonsense, you know, Skullbuster that they love so much. Uh, nobody wants to do that. Yeah. So then um, I think we can kind of move on from this one. I just kind of threw it in there because it was a notable match from his 80s run, and I knew it would be short. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was it was a brawl. It was fine for what it was. I don't think it was particularly memorable, other than, mm-hmm. like, kind of the trimmings around it of Dusty, like, Dusty's demise. Mm, that's fair. So then we're going to head to, I think this is like <laughs> late March, early April of, of 89. I actually think this is their debut at center stage. Um, it might be. Cause this is about when they moved out of the studio to look into a nicer building and stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is Mike Rotunda defending the television title. <clears throat> against sting so if just to give kind of the background of this rotunda lost the tv title to rick steiner at starcade 88 and then he won it back at shy town rumble and then this is about a month later and he um he's defending against sting here and just to start us off i want to say varsity club mike rotunda is the best mike rotunda uh i I agree overall, um, at least in terms of like his work rate. Um, I do have a soft spot for uh, Erwin R. Scheister. Uh, I did like that gimmick, but uh, it's a really great gimmick. Yeah, but I I do think from many other perspectives, I do agree. I think that the Varsity Club version of Mike Rotunda was the best version in his career. So this is this is um. Actually, this is one of my favorite matches from this run, just because... So this is... Um, this this is, is a hell of a match that I've never seen before. Mm. It's, and it's I'm really, so glad Brad shared it with us. Yeah. Because it's... This is like... This is everything... If you want to know why people love the NWA versus the WWE, this is like everything like an 80s WWE match is not. Like, it's just physical. Oh, yes. Sting yeah. flying around like a madman like he does his elbow drop and i literally think he could have jumped over the top rope mm-hmm. yeah and then Gosh. um he does like a dive off the he does like a suicide dive onto him uh the varsity clubs out you know and because it's not the wwe sting actually has friends so like mm-hmm. ricky steamboat and lex luger come out to cheer him on yep. um the- well and also to even the odds because the entire varsity club yeah, is uh, comes out there and they're you know it could potentially be a four on one until yeah. Steamboat and Luger come out to kind of 
make sure that that doesn't really happen. And, sh- and uh, showing how good they are, like I like that they kind of had like a little miscue on a spot where I think Rotunda was supposed to miss an elbow drop, but Sting kind of didn't quite clear, mm-hmm. and he hit him. So Sting, so so what's nice about it is Sting still kind of sold it, and Hayes actually on commentary covered for them really well. Yeah, because Hayes was like, yeah. well, he caught him a little bit, and then all they did is then they got up. Rotunda went for a drop kick and stay and missed. So then they were right back to where they should have been. So they just yeah. covered like pretty flawlessly. It was, I wanna... a, it was a minor botch. Sorry to cut you off, Chad. It was a yeah. minor botch, but you're right. Like they covered up really well. Um, and I want to hear what Chad has to say, but the, the announcing, I just want to say like the announcing for, of Jim Ross and Hayes was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was going to say is I wanted to hit the say, Shattuck, I, Luger, cut you off. Yeah, I wanted to go back to the Luger Sting steamboat thing real quick Mm -hmm. not only does them coming to ringside you know it makes sting look you know it it, it makes things look less dumb it allays some fears that you have watching it on on, in one hand you're like oh you know steamboat and luger are out here that means the varsity club can't you know aren't going to be able to just like you know kick the crap out of sting if he goes to the outside but then on the other hand now you've got a whole bunch of of other tension going on because you're like oh man what's going to happen if you know what's going to and the other thing that it did that i love is it made this feel like a bigger deal because Mm -hmm. you know it okay the heels being out there while the you know the faces are you know while this match is going on okay sure of course makes sense right like heels doing heel things no big deal but with the faces out there, all of a sudden it feels like that they look at it, they know their friend needs their help, and the stakes are even higher. This it 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 takes this to a whole other level by in kayfabe making it a bigger deal. And and the thing that the thing I didn't realize till like the last fourth is the crowd is standing the entire time. Oh, they the crowd is so hot. I didn't notice the standing, but the crowd heat for this match is amazing and they're yeah. hot the entirety of the of the match yeah, and and it shows how smart they worked it though is because they um the way they work this match is they get them just frothing at the mouth for the for the finish mm-hmm. like okay. they whip them into a frenzy just so like just in that and then they execute the ending like right at the perfect time where the crowd's just like ready for it yeah. This this is another match where Sting's selling is just so good, mm-hmm. and they really like they they basically worked the crowd because there was that false finish where you thought it was over. Sullivan's thing, yeah, yeah. Oh and my god! It, and then at the last minute, you know, he gets his foot on the ropes, and so, the ref sees it. It's only two. Matt, when when that happened, mm-hmm. like I knew how this match ended. I, I knew what happened. Like I, I I knew what happened here, what how how the match was going to end, but in that moment, Sullivan comes in, does that thing. I realize, and they roll over and they do the foot on the ropes. I look down and I realize that I have scooted to the front edge of my chair and I am leaned closer to the monitor because I am so drawn in, and I even knew what was going to happen. I had never seen this match. I didn't know how it was going to end. I didn't know what was going to happen. I just. 
I was just so enraptured by this match that when I saw that, I might again, I've been trained as, as a wrestling <laughs> fan. I'm like, oh, well, that's it. But then yeah. they hit me with a false finish and they got me. They got yeah. me. But I loved it. <laughs> it was so fantastic. And then we got the finish coming up. And it's, well, what's amazing, too, is they don't they don't really they really keep it to like headlocks and like really simple like mm-hmm. back and forth work but so the the finish is like what i mean what i what i like about the story of this match is like it's really rotunda trying to keep sting from grounded yeah because it's i kind of like liken it to sting's kind of like this young wild stallion and rotunda knows like if sting starts running like it's gonna get out of hand really quick yeah mm-hmm. and they really and Sting does a really good job of when it's his time to fly, like he starts flying. Yeah. Like, and um, so the ending is like they start, they start, they kind of start doing like running the ropes, you know, Sting ducks, and then Sting does like the, is it a victory? What's the one where you do like the, you kind of hit the ropes and you roll the guy up under you? It's not a victory. Roll. Oh, it's, it's like a, it's not a victory roll. It's like a, it's like a uh, – in my head, I always called it a back roll where you get the guy in a, a, a rear waist lock, run him into the ropes, use the snap from the ropes to roll you both back. And whenever you roll back, the guy rolls up onto his shoulders and you roll to where you're you're seated basically across his legs. Uh, I'm sure there's a technical name for it that I can't think of at the moment. but That's a very I, good descriptor of actually what the move – looks like so thank you people i think people can visualize it i mean they've if you're a wrestling fan for any length of time you've seen a guy do this at least yeah. a few times yeah you've seen some version of it mm-hmm. so um, um pretty much pins of and rotunda like they do like the kick out so sting kind of like flies through the ropes but i really love his title celebration because he just kind of like grabs his belt and he kind of <laughs> just struts over and takes his money and then like luger and steamboat like start carrying him him mm-hmm. off while the the varsity club's kind of throwing a temper tantrum in the ring while the the crowd is um just going ape shit and I love I love how outraged Michael Hayes is at the win. Yeah. Oh, he's so mad. He's so mad. And, and okay, there's this there's this little section where he accuses Sting of holding the tights. Sting kind of did hold the tights, though. But I mean, even if... uh, on the replay, I didn't think it really looked like it. But, but I didn't feel like it was holding the tights so much as he was just like pressing down on Rotunda's like butt, essentially. Like, yeah, uh, I don't think I it think, was. I think the even tights. if the idea was he did hold the tights, I think like it's a subtle <laughs> screw you as he takes the title for right the chicanery. Like, I think it's fine even if he did grab the tights because sometimes a face should um... cheat. Yeah. Cheat to win. Yeah. yeah. The, the face. Well, the, the heel cheats mm-hmm. any opportunity. The face cheats after he's been provoked to, and and it's the the heel showing he's not on the up and up. Like you you can do that. You've just got to you just got to set it up. And mm-hmm. and I just like that they have a big sack of money for him for the ten thousand dollars <laughs> on the line. Like they just need a dollar sign on it to like finish. Yeah, it looked visual. like what the Beagle Boys run out of Scrooge McDuck's money bin with. But um, and and I really love uh, this era. Sting music is really good too. I, I don't. Mm-hmm. The one we had is the original music. I don't know what WWE does. It's probably some god awful like. 
uh, ruin that too. Yeah, but like just the what I love about this and why it's so distinctly NWA is because the it's just a super physical match. There's a certain level of like grunge to it. Yeah. And, like, yes. It's not like a super polished presentation, so there's like this grit to it, and it's just it's distinctly. It's just like so distinctly like NWA. That's you know what that's I'm glad you you said that. Uh, I was trying to think. I was trying to think because my wife, who I've shared before, like doesn't really like wrestling because I'm such a wrestling nerd. Like she she will watch wrestling if if I'm watching it. I, I have it on. She will kind of like passively watch it as she's like doing other stuff. But um, I've taken her to shows. Uh, she liked. We haven't obviously with the pandemic. We haven't been a long time. I think the last actual, the last actual show, ironically, that we went to was a local uh, DC show that went about a year ago. Um, and before that, last show she went to was like WrestleMania in New York. Um, she likes NXT when it was like a lot of acrobatic stuff, yeah. like Ricochet. Like she's a fan of just because. Visually to her as someone who doesn't really care for it, when they're doing like kind of flashy moves, it's impressive to her. Um, but I have taken her to uh, about three different independent shows, and it's a little more like has a little more of that like grimy feel, like grunge. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, in comparing like old school WWF before it became a WWE, and, yeah. and comparing like the NWA and I guess it it, uh, it got a little different in like the 90s when it was more of a TV product. But back in the day, it's like obviously there was a more focus for Southern style in terms mm-hmm. of like work rate. Uh, even though I mean, obviously they didn't do this like flashy stuff back then as you would see today. But it's kind of like what makes the difference. And I bring up my wife because the thing that she enjoyed about the indie shows that I've taken her to is she's like she understands it's all fake but she's like whoa i feel like i feel like in some of this stuff we saw like she goes like oh the lines were blurred mm-hmm. and that's kind of to me like how like the old school nwa was like it's like it's fake but the lines start blurring where it's like okay these guys are like throwing bombs at each other they're putting each other in in submission moves which they seem realistic they seem like it actually it's all very. It feels has a very real feel, mm-hmm. and if you have two guys involved in like a a grunge match or a blood feud, like you believe it. Like watch like the the whole like Magnum TA Tully I Quit match. It's like that is tame compared to some of the shit that they've you've seen like in ECW or even like crazy shit you've seen you can see on the indies like in czw but yeah. it just came off as like it's like a barroom brawl in a cage yeah but it's all gritty it seems very real it seems like legit and that's something that like like the wwf wwe like just has not replicated that often it, yeah it makes it easier to suspend your disbelief yeah and um Matt, I want to build on what you said. I have a question for you that I want to yes. come back to, but I want to build on what you said because, <clears throat> like, okay, when I would go do shows, or if you've if you've ever been to like a a, a dinky little independent, you know, uh, MMA bout or or um, tough man contest or something, like, there's a certain <clears throat> atmosphere and kind of smell that goes with it. Like there there is the 
the feel of hard work and exertion in it, right? Like there's this <clears throat> that that's kind of floating in the air. And when you go you you look at um you look at this match with, you know, this kind of gritty like oh, I'm just gonna oh, you know and these guys are doing this stuff and it's it's wrestling, but it's not there it's not just piles of high spots. It's not, you know, we're not we're not having like Ray versus Ricochet here. Which which is fine for what it is, you know, that that would be like my wife's favorite thing ever. <clears throat> but you have you have this you look at this and you have this feel of that gritty like you can almost smell the sweat and the tension in the air. Whereas if you watch uh, WWE, it looks like it smells like cotton candy or something. Yeah, you know, yeah it, I think it, that's a good description. Now, Matt, the thing I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned it earlier and there was something you had sent us in our, our group chat. You mentioned something about Sting's selling that stood out to you that I, I was hoping you'd expand on a little bit. Me? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. My, I, I try to use my wife as a barometer because she doesn't, she doesn't really like, again, she, she doesn't really like wrestling. Um, and I really, I kind of want to show her some old school stuff to see how she'd feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think she would appreciate it. Cause even though it's, it's not what I would describe as like flashy. Mm-hmm. It does have that kind of like realistic feel, yeah. And I think she appreciates that, um, or she would appreciate that because mm-hmm. I think if you're a non-fan, like that is something you could show to someone because they. I feel like I, my like my favorite, I guess, style is like the southern style. If you're mm-hmm. if you're gonna venture away from like sort of the Japanese styles, which I also appreciate and why I, I think a lot of like a lot of guys who who did quite well in the quote unquote southern style did really well in Japan because I feel like they're kinda like harmonious philosophies in terms of like working where it they're they try to make things more realistic. Mm, yeah. In in Japan, obviously the focus was more to present it as more of like a, a real sport, like a legitimate legitimate competition. Mm-hmm. Uh so I feel like that kind of work because in there's a lot of a lot of the southern guys came from like legit sports backgrounds. I mean, yeah. Take someone like Steve Williams who did quite well doing like southern style stuff, and he did he had a fantastic career in Japan. I kind of would love to show her some stuff just to see how she feels because I feel like the fact that they convey they these southern style like old school like NWA Jim Crockett promotions, even like going back to like the first match we watched like UWF. They just did a really good job of kind of making they again they blurred the lines between mm-hmm. real and fake. I mean, it's obviously fake, but you're supposed to suspend disbelief. And to me, like you can really, they did a better job than than the WWF WWE. And I like look, we probably became fans of wrestling a lot because of like a lot of the WWF old school WWF and WWE stuff, just because. They did a lot of stuff well, but I don't know. I, I resonate more towards like this stuff because 
Mm-hmm. It's less. Well, it's definitely not. It's less cartoon. It's more. It's. It's less cartoon. I mean, it's. It's it's hard to describe. It, I mean, WWF, and WWE. It's you. It's like watching like a big budget movie. Mm-hmm. Which is not the worst thing. I mean, there's plenty of like fun, big budget movies, and some of them can actually be quite good. But you know, the the whole like NWA Southern style stuff is more like a almost like independent stuff, where it's like you're actually going to get better. The the quality of it, mm-hmm. it's going to be better from a technical perspective and from a story perspective, it's going to be better. I don't know. I I, I clearly have my biases. It just uh, feels like that the buy-in. For that yeah. suspension disbelief is a lot easier when you're looking at this kind of stuff as opposed to, you know, uh, you know what you see on Monday and Friday nights right yeah. now. It's I and I actually was trying to explain to my wife because she was uh, she was in the room when I started watching like the Sting versus Bill Watts stuff, and mm-hmm. I watched that. And again, it's more of an angle than a match, but I do remember some of the other stuff from UW. I, I mean, I haven't watched a lot of UWF, but I. I went on YouTube and I searched for when Eddie Gilbert uh, basically swerved Bill Watts and had the the Russians oh, attack him. Oh, that one's so good. That's such a fucking great angle and a great segment. And it's on YouTube for anyone who wants to watch it. And it was just so good. And I was trying to explain to her, I'm like, wrestling is like in many ways, obviously you want, it's, it's, you want to make it layered. You want to you want to do as much as you can with it. It it is like an art form, but it can wrestling can be so easy. And it's like you literally, it all you had to do, and this that one segment really encapsulated it well. It's like you just have to have like a guy comes out there, he's like no, like I, I, I like everything's fine, like it's it's good, and then you have the face come out there, and then all of a sudden you have the guy just turn. And you have a beat down and all of a sudden like that right there, like literally within like five minutes, you have people going out of their minds, like calling for blood. Like how the mm. how dare Eddie Gilbert do this to Bill Watts? What the hell? And it's yeah. so it's like their emotions are raw. It's like but it's so simplistic. It's as simple as it can be. It's like just two guys, one does something dirty to the other one, and now you you like you want that guy's blood. And people will literally, you know, money out of their pockets. I want to see this guy get his ass kicked for what yes. he is. Yeah. It's as simple as it can be. And I feel like I feel like the old school stuff, like NWA, did a really good job of that just consistently. It's like, I mean, the Rotunda match is great because it's like he's just, the Varsity Club was just like arrogant assholes. And they were just trying to be underhanded. And he had Sting, like the up and coming superstar, like trying to uh, subvert that. It yeah, might everyone. have been Bix and Zellner were talking about the varsity club angle. And I don't know if this was if this has ever been proven out, but I think their their prevailing theory is that and it actually makes the varsity club angle better. And if you if you watched if you happen to like come across it on Starcade eighty eight, like Sullivan still has like his um his like Satanist robes on. So I think like the the genesis of like the the varsity club angle I think was supposed to be like devil worshipper Kevin Sullivan leading leading all of these clean cut athletes astray hmm. into the into the evil but he stopped wearing the robes right after Starcade eighty eight and started 
doing a more standard like like what he was wearing here. Mm-hmm. Well, because you uh, one thing that happens is especially when it comes to wrestling is that uh, the more subtle storytelling you try to do, the more lost people are going to be. Not because they don't care, not because they're not smart enough to get it, but part of this is that you're trying to whip people up into this state of you know high emotional tension, and whenever you're trying to drop the little wink and a nod subtleties in that moment, they're not going to catch it. And I'm convinced that's what that's you know part of what killed the original Bray Wyatt run is that he was trying to be too clever in a lot of the stuff. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes though, because like the flare match and this match especially had some subtle character work in it. Mm-hmm. And, right, there's a balance. But I think I think where you go wrong, like sometimes with the Bray Wyatt stuff, and especially like the WWE take on it, and it's actually where Hollywood has gotten really bad. Is sometimes you need to just have faith in your audience and do your thing, and they'll get it or they won't get it. Like if you look at like the original Ghostbusters and like older stuff, and how sometimes they they story tell through body language mm-hmm. and just facial expressions, and now. Hollywood doesn't trust people, so they they have to talk and like do zany physical comedy instead of like conveying things through just unspoken stuff because they think everyone's stupid now. That's a, that's such a great point, and the, the the modern WWE is very guilty of that. It's like they Hollywood and the WWE like they're so focused on trying to wring those dollars out of you. That they want to try and make things as, as dumbed down as possible, but it becomes it becomes so like insulting where it's like, "Hey, idiots! This is the reaction we want from you. Let's make it obvious. Like, hey, yeah. seals! Like, clap, clap now!" Yeah, and it just becomes so bad because it's like, "No, actually, I don't want to give you that emotion, or I think what you're giving me is like crap, so I'm not going to react to it." Yeah. Speaking of speaking of crap, uh, you watched something recently, Matt. I wanted to touch on before we left for the night. Mm-hmm. So um, you finally stumbled headlong into like the Leon Ruff NXT stuff that I've bashed in the past. <sighs> yeah, I was watching. <laughs> I don't watch NXT most times because I I'm trying to watch more like Impact. And I'm trying to watch obviously AEW uh, and trying to in other spare time watch like new Japan and some of these like indie shows or an old wrestling DVD that I have, or, you know, stuff that I've, I've purchased off fight TV. Like I, there's plenty of content out there. So unfortunately NXT kind of goes to the wayside. Yeah. And they, uh, they really, the problem with NXT is like nothing ever really changes. So you can yeah. kind of skip it for months and just like pick up like the good matches and you really don't miss much. But the problem I've had, and I think I've talked about on the show is like, Leon Ruff is like for me is a total ch- like if if he's on channel. the TV it's like a channel changer like fast forward just go to something I, else I, I mean I'm not opposed to the concept of Leon Ruff I mean you I think every I think there are places for the kind of smaller like plucky babyface or like notable jobber. Oh, like, they are, I, I, but like it's it's obviously like he is Triple H's idea of humor, and Triple H's idea of humor is terrible. 
So it has that going against it, in my opinion. That the problem is that Leon Ruff gets way too much airtime. Way too much. And the one I saw, this is actually from NXT, like about a month ago. And you know, he goes, he's feuding with uh, with Gargano and. Who's Gargano's prodigy, Austin Theory? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I forget even exactly what it was, but it was something where it's like, you know, Leon Ruff is having a match where he's going out there to the ring and you know, Gargano and, and Austin are trying to like get one over on him. But they it's some like something where there's like a ridiculous like pratfall or some it's like it might as well Leon Ruff might as well like, oh, as they're walking to the ring, like throwing out a banana peel and they trip on the banana peel. Yeah. But it's like it's literally like cartoonish windmilling the arms before you fall down type of thing. And and the problem is that it's so forced and it's so not funny. And they're so clearly trying to be like, hey, guys, this is so funny. All you guys should laugh at this. And it's like, no, this is just cringe. It's really, really bad. It's like and again, um, I'm, not, a, it's I'm like, not opposed to comedy at all. Like, I think not to use them as like the gold standard, but something like AEW, like AEW does lots of comedy stuff like with best friends and orange Cassidy, like tons of stuff like that. And it's presented in a much better way. And you laugh at it. You don't, but it's not like force where it's like, Hey guys, it's super funny. Laugh at it. It's like, no, well, it's just it's more subtle. Orange Cassidy isn't on your TV. Like every week for 10, 15, 20 minutes in a chunk. And he's not like, he's not getting like, he's not like the TNT champion. Yeah. And and it's just because the thing is, like, I don't even want to hate on Leon Ruff. Like, it's just that, like, it's like they, it's just like every week it's like, oh, I'm going to see what NXT is doing. And like within five minutes, Leon Ruff's on my TV. And it's just it's just like, ugh, like, do, do I have to see him again? Because it's never good. The comedy's never good with him. No, and I don't blame him, per se. He's just doing whatever he's it's written for him. No, I know. I don't. I don't blame him, but it's obvious. Triple H sees Tee Tiny Guy. Let's have fun with Tiny Guy because I remember Mulkey Mania, but I don't understand why that people why that got over. Shad, if you don't know, that's an end. They were an NWA jobber team. And okay. like the idea was Mulky Mania's running wild and then they would just get mercilessly beaten to a pulp in the ring and lose. <laughs> and then they ruined yeah. the gimmick because they won a match. I, I knew the name, but I didn't know the story behind the the thing. They're like, you should look them up because I have a theory on how a jobber should look. Because a jobber uh-huh. should look... A, a jobber should be slightly disheveled and have a certain look of misery on their face. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you don't you don't want a jobber you don't want a jobber that's too put together. They shouldn't have like gimmicky gear. They should have the most basest of gears. But you should also um, they should also look a bit miserable because they just lose all the time. And they should also you should probably think like oh did they just pick this guy up at a Walmart? Now they need to be able to work. But like I said, you need you need them to look a certain way. You, you've got to make them look. If they're going to be a job guy, you've got to make them look less than the guy they're going up against. Yeah. Because there's a certain message you're sending. And that message is, you know, this guy's going to get wrecked. And that's the point of the story. Now, um, I wanted to to hit on something 
from Matt just a little bit earlier. Uh, just um, this is more out of curiosity than anything else. But when your wife has gone to live shows with you, has she reacted more strongly to the live show as a as an experience than watching something at home? Yes, because there is obviously like an energy that mm-hmm. is there with the crowd. Um, and she, so she really, she's been to a couple NXT shows. She went to the NXT New York and then she went to, um, she went to like a, a basically what was like an NXT house show. Mm-hmm. And she did have a good time in both of those. Um, she enjoyed the, I've taken her to a couple like house show WWE shows and she's been to like mm, about three uh, indie shows and she's enjoyed all of those the one show she really actually didn't enjoy was uh mania in new york from a couple of years back 35 yeah the eight hour long one yeah it, she was just like at one point towards that what it's probably like 75 percent into the show but she just like put her head on my shoulder like she wanted to go to sleep but i mean is is that the one where like they did that stupid triple h batista match and like the crowd just died yeah. Oh, she. Oh. This, it's so random. Like the other day, I, I think because I was watching wrestling, she's like, "Whatever happened to?" Uh, I she was trying to mention like Triple H, Triple Batista. Just, oh yeah, like that match they had that was like forty five minutes long, <laughs> and she like is hating <laughs> on it two years later. She doesn't even. She can't even like recall specifically the names of the people who were in it. She just hated that match because she's like, "Why did it have to go so long?" Because it's Triple H. She has to go long all the time. And now they... my my wife is skewed because she basically feels like if a match is going over like ten minutes, she's like it's too long. But she also did not like that match. And I will say, as someone who was there in li- in live attendance, like I felt that that match, no joke, sucked the energy out. Yeah. It was too long. It was too long. It was too. It was. It got masturbatory by the end of it. You know, yeah. it's funny. It's funny. Um, the pandemic kind of ended that, but it's funny that Triple H had like a five or six year run of his Mania match dying every year and no one wanting that program. And it really started with remember when they did that Seth Rollins program that literally even God was trying to tell them no one wanted to see because he kept smiting Seth Rollins with injury. <laughs> God. and they kept like yes. insisting on having it and then they did the match and no one gave a shit because yeah. literally no one wanted to see it yeah that was yeah that that was it was kind of a mercy kill to end that program finally but it, it's just one of those like I asked you that Matt because there's at least for me uh, that's if you go to an indie show with people who have an idea of what they're doing, mm. it, the engagement can be so much because you don't know. You just go to some random indie show. You don't know who in the hell these people are, right? It's just a, you know, it, the first one we went to. It, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was a Nova Pro Wrestling right. show, which was based out of Northern Virginia. And I, I knew like, gosh, maybe like, charitably i knew like i actually don't know that i knew anyone anyone on that show i'm, I'm kind of speaking in theory on it but it could have maybe like two people maybe and that's like really a stretch and that's only because i'm like i actually try to pay attention one of the people actually that was on that show the that has become like a big deal in the 
two and a half, three years since then. It was Alley Cat, who's like oh, kind of cool. become, become like a name on the indie scene now. But you go to that, oh. and you oh, Jonathan Gresham was on that show. So go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. You go to the you go to this, and you have a bunch of people you don't know, so they have to get over this hump, you not knowing who in the hell they are. But the the and this should probably be a whole other topic, but just the draw of having someone you you get behind them for whatever reason, all of a sudden you have gone from, oh, I'm here to see the show to suddenly you are in the stands cheering for the guy you want to win because screw that guy. You know, they're in there having this this putting on this regular and then all of a sudden the guy just thumbs him in the eye and then you know, he points the ref over there and kicks him in the balls and then he's he's, you know, rubbing his boot all over the guy's face and you have this visceral reaction of like, You asshole and all of a sudden those lines blur super hard but you don't get that in WWE because everything is predicated for television and there's not that they're not driving for that connection to the particular audience member. And so it's, there's, there is so much currently missing out of that product that it, 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 it frustrates me because it's missing on like the fundamental level. I, you know, my problem with WWE shows that, um, I've been to is you feel like a trained seal when you're at a WWE show. Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to clap and squawk when they want you to, and you're not supposed to do anything like that's off script, like whatsoever. The last live WWE show I went to, this is going to tell you how long ago it was featured Shelton Benjamin versus Carlito for the intercontinental title. Now, wow. now Shad, that could be yeah. a legitimate match today. Well, Carlito's <laughs> not on the roster, but he's that's, no, he's kind of sort of around. Not anymore. Oh, he's gone already. Know. Yeah, he's gone already. Um, oh, he just kind of came in and did a thing. There was the rumor that they were going to make him a producer, but that apparently didn't have any legs. But that was that was that and HBK Flair were the two like hallmark matches and then the main was John Cena versus Triple H and after the entrances for that match my brother and I pieced out to beat the traffic but I, it was I like how the, the only thing that changes it is that um is age is guys age yeah. out and that's the only thing that changes anything <laughs> but we the thing that happened just for that whole that whole show was we do the things like we only do the things there. There were some were trying new things out, like the Kerwin White gimmick showed up there with no setting at all. So I was confused what in the hell Chavo was doing. But they just did the stuff that, you know, is going to get the reaction. It, Edge versus Big Show. Lita rolls in the ring with the money in the bank. Money in the Bank briefcase in her hand, and Big Show looks at her, and she stops and tries to play it. Like, you know exactly what the reaction is going to be because they did it all the time. That's what stood and, out when I went to NXT is they did um they did a big – this is like when they were first branching out, so they had like a Big Show versus Ryback match on there. 
Mm-hmm. And again, it's like the, it, even NXT when it was good fell into this. Like nothing felt spontaneous or anything. But people yeah. were really giving Big Show a hard time. So yeah. he asks for the house mic and he gets on the house mic. He's like, guys, like I just want you to know, like I have a contract signed for ten more years. And the crowd starts giving it to him, and he starts doing, like, the 10, like, hand signal. And it really stood out because that felt spontaneous that he was rolling with the crowd and, like, kind of, like, rubbing it in. Yeah. And, um, but you don't get that a lot of the times. Yeah. No, you you are absolutely missing out on this stuff. And that's part of what, um... Just it, it just makes me sad because you go to an indie show, you start getting a good reaction, you are going to work that reaction. God, my favorite thing to do was pick on little kids because everybody immediately hated my guts for doing it. Right? Like I, I'm not a I like I'm not a mean guy, but whenever I, I pick on the little kid who, you know, smacked my hand when I went by and I stop and I shout at him, Don't you ever touch me all of a sudden everybody in the building is like you don't talk to a kid that way, jerk. You know, it, and <laughs> you know, and and would I have gotten to do that if if I hadn't had a kid react or would I had to find something else? But that's what um, no. If you used to go to shows, I don't know if Matt ever experienced this, but if Chuck Taylor was on a show back in the day, you had to make <laughs> sure that he couldn't get to like any of your stuff because of like if you weren't watching like your water bottle enough, he would grab it from you and just chuck it. <clears throat> yeah, I haven't seen anything like that, but I, I would, I would actually love it, and my wife would probably actually love it. That would be like a real fun experience. She'd be like, "Oh my god!" But she would kind of enjoy it. And the, I did that with somebody's water bottle once. It, it, we were having. An, he would do the kid thing, but like they would also usually he would scare the kids, but then the face would get that kid to chop him during the match. Yeah, which is a great, great way to handle it. I took, we were, we were having, it was the story that we told when Duke Allstriker was on. It was the outdoor um, street fight match. And I took somebody's water bottle, unscrewed the top and just winged it at one of the other guys. So it hit and it sprayed everywhere. And so not only am I the guy that stole his water bottle, I threw it at the other guy and got a bunch of other people wet, which pissed him off. Even That's more. actually a spot that they've, it's really more of a modern this decade spot, but I really love like the, when they get the heel and they like take him to the crowd and let the crowd like chop him. Yeah. That, because before you kept the distance in a lot of ways, but anyway, this has been fun. A lot of, uh, a lot of fun sting stuff to watch. Yeah. You know, we should do a sequel really to this in. and do, um, sting and Muda from great American bash in the rematch. If I can find it. Well, is there do we do we have anything to tease for coming up or uh no i don't know what we're doing next we'll probably probably do something we need to get back to our cartoon stuff eventually but there might be a little more wrestling next week mm-hmm. there are some there's well, a couple things i think we've wanted to talk about but we haven't quite got to Maybe I'll get okay. that flag angle from the UWF and get some UWF stuff for us to watch. Ooh. Ooh. So everybody out there, we want to thank you for being with us. A uh, quick reminder, because I forgot to say it at the beginning, we do have a Redbubble store. If you're just dying to have something with our uh, our logo on it, uh, the link is on all of our Instagram posts. I need to pass it around so we get it on our others, too. But... Um, 
you know, if if you feel froggy, heck, I'm probably going to order notebooks from it to do my show prep with, um, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, heck, if you got if you've got requests, hit us up through any of our social media platforms. We we don't mind at all. Um, it, it'd be it'd have to be pretty out there for us to turn it down. So we would love to hear from you. Um, you know, any of our social media. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, hit us up. And all of that being said, said, this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we will catch you next time.